to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Today I'm on site at Snowdrift Cider with the founder, Peter Ringsrud, and we are sitting outside of the cidery, and so you're going to hear birds chirping and tractors doing what they're doing and the sounds of a cidery and an orchard in, in, in full force. So Peter, thank you for being here today. And how about if I ask you to share your story of how you started Snowdrift? Certainly, and thank you for this opportunity. Um, I'm a commercial fruit grower, and we got kind of tired of uh, being at the bottom of the food chain on the commercial industry. And so you got whatever was left over. And so we wanted to do something that was uh, vertically integrated. Um, we had been trying to make cider with the apples that we grew, which were the dessert apples. And uh, Horde was about the best I could come up with. And uh, my son said, well, there's bringing a guy in from the UK to talk about making cider. And so I took the class at WSU Mount Vernon and from Peter Mitchell. And it's sort of like, oh my gosh, we're using the wrong fruit. And so then in 2006, I had an opportunity through Dean Neff and had an orchard with some cider fruit in it in Pateras. And so we had all these carboys up and down in the, in the garage. And it was sort of like they went from pale straw in color to deep amber. The flavor characteristics were just uh, out of this world. And so then as a family, we had to decide if it was going to be an expensive hobby or if we we're going to do this for real. And so that's pretty much how we started. So for, for people that don't understand, I've heard you're not the first person that said dessert fruit. What do you mean by that? Well, dessert fruit is like the apples that you would get from the store. Um, Reds and Goldens used to be the main ones. Now uh, you got uh, Cosmic Crisp and Honey Crisp and Gala is the biggest, produ uh, biggest apple producer out there. But all of those have uh, water and sugar and acid, like Fuji's are low acid. And um, that works for eating. But when you have yeast consuming the sugar in the apple, uh, apple juice, uh, you get a slightly alcoholic sour drink with no flavor characteristics. And so when we talk about cider fruit, uh, we focus on a lot of the English and uh, old American varieties that have tannins in them, and they give the flavor characteristics. So then it's the tannins that give us the, the tasty cider that we are. What, what, those of us that like cider, that's what we're looking for. Is it, is, it, is it the tannins that bring us the flavor? It's the tannins that are actually, and there's a whole bunch of different types of tannins, that get, and they're what give you the flavor characteristics. So now, as we sit here, and in, in, in the background you're going to hear a, a tractor. Are you growing your own fruit for the, the cider? Or are, you, are you sourcing it from other places locally, or where do you get your cider fruit? Okay, the majority of the, <clears throat> the cider fruit that we use for our core products and, and that, uh, we grow ourselves. And so we have about uh, eight acres. Um, we have a test block that has about 35 different varieties in it. And then so that, we use those varieties for the main uh, apples that have the tannins in. 
Um, we also have some um, um, draft products, and so that we will purchase uh, processor cider from the like the source here in Wenatchee, and use that as the, the base, and then we'll add some of our uh, cider fruit cider in that to give some of the flavor components. When you started making cider commercial, what what were your ciders like? What what were your first commercial ciders? What were they like? Well, what did you like? Have you evolved over the last fifteen years or so? Okay, uh, the first, actually, the first cider that the first two ciders that we had was uh, English style dry and uh, Cliff Breaks. Uh, Cliff Breaks was made with bittersweet, bitter sharp cider apples. English dry was main, mainly made with just uh, bittersweet cider apples. And so um, we we tried some of that and we actually, a year before we started, I took that around to some places and say, is this, is this bottle worthy? And if this would it be something that you would be able to want to market in your facility? And we got really good results. So we started out with those two products. Um, what has happened is that we have added uh, additional products. Uh, right now we're focusing on the branch series. In the branch series, we focus more on single varietal apples. Uh, Nihao is an English bittersweet cider apple, and that's a completely dry cider uh, Dabinet is another bittersweet cider apple, and that has some. Uh, we've had some, done some back sweetening, sweetening on that to kind of bridge between the beginning and ending flavor characteristics. Uh, we've done Kingston Black. Um, we've done uh, Cap Liberty. Uh, so more, we're doing more right now to show people what cider fruit can taste like. Um, we also have Cornus. Uh, Cornus is a barrel aged uh, cider. And so you pull, pull out some of the oak and the vanilla characteristics from the toasted oak barrels. So what were the barrels used for before you, you aged the cider in it? The best ones that we have are actually from Dry Fly. And so they were Washington Wheat Whiskey. They're okay. a distillery in can. Okay. And does that change? How does that change the flavor of, I mean, you're smiling. So um, what... How long are you aging it typically, and what does it? In, how, can you describe the changes that it makes to the to the cider? Well, I can start with an example. When we first tried it, we had some Pink Lady cider that we were about ready to get rid of because we didn't like the bite that it had, and so we put some of the Pink Lady into these uh, um, oak barrels, and within a couple three days, that bite was gone. Uh, at, at about a week, it started to pick up some of the oak and the vanilla characteristics. And we found that after six months in barrels like that, uh, it was really pretty good. And so we figured, wow, we aren't going to screw up our cider. So we, then we decided to start doing it that way. Did that change the alcohol content of the cider by aging it in a whiskey barrel? No, it does not. It doesn't? Okay. Uh, the, you get on the first u- use of the of a whiskey barrel, you get some of the spiritus notes, okay. but you get more the hint of the the oak and the vanilla, which is more in the bourbon whiskey right. characteristic. 
you also have, and I can't, I can't place the the name of it, but uh, it's in a clear bottle, and it's a red uh, cider. And I apologize for not being able to say the name to you. Red. Red. See, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the story about that because it's in a clear bottle, and it's it's very uh, appealing looking. So um, it'd be about six years ago, or maybe a little bit. Longer ago, uh, Stemelt growers had been trying to develop a red-fleshed eating apple, and so they came to us and said, "We've been we've been trying this. It isn't going to work. Is there something you can do with it?" And so, uh, my son-in-law and I tasted them. Um, really, really high acid, punky on the inside, but we're kind of used to that anyway. No tannins, and so we thought, "I doubt it." And then so we told them and said, well, we'll try four bins. And they said, well, we have 40 bins. And we looked at each other and said, like, oh, my gosh, what in the world are we going to do with this? And because we pretty much had written it off because our paradigm said flavors come from tannins. Um, this blew my paradigm of what flavor characteristics you get out of, out of red flesh apples because the red in the apple itself is a flavor char characteristic that you find in berries. And so we'll get uh, strawberry, raspberry, pomegranate, rhubarb characters out of it. And it's all from, from that uh, anthocyanin in the, in the apple itself. So how did you guys end up turning it into a viable product then? If you, if you thought you weren't gonna be able to do anything, and by the way, did you end up taking all 40 bins? Yes. Okay. We tried a whole pile of different things. Okay. So I'd love to ask the question of what was a great idea that you had that didn't work? Because I always think there's a good story. But I kind of think here, you didn't think it was going to work, That's the, but you made it work. So what what happened? I'm, I'm not so sure that I would say that we made it work. Um, we would have written it off because that isn't where we see the flavors coming from. And so this was something so new and unique. Uh, number one, it was, was really red. Number two, it had um, berry character that only people were getting from adding berry concentrate to it. And, uh, I mean, it t worked out well. Now, there were, it was problematic. Um, that, that red in it is actually very sensitive to acid level. And so if you let the acid level drop then you lose your color and uh, right now we're having some issues with overcropping and so we've lost a lot of the color what is overcropping um, in like in cider fruit if we have they're notorious for alternate bearing so one year they'll have gangbusters and next year they'll have nothing okay and so when it's overcropped like on the year that they have a lot of stuff you don't get the flavors and the sugars and the characteristics that you want. And so in, in what we see now is that um, the last couple of years, the, the color has gone down. The flavors are still there, uh, but it's not the, it doesn't the high standard that we were looking for. From a very layman's point of view, and like I told you before, we started you know i'm not a wine person but i somehow in my brain i've read or heard somewhere that grapes do well when they struggle 
Is, it in the, is that the same with this fruit? The, does it, if it's an abundant crop, you lose what you're looking for? So is it in the years that it has a little bit more challenge that brings out the characteristics? Or am I just completely wrong? Well, I don't know if we know enough about that. Um, next year, uh, we're working with WSU, and we're going to be doing some deficit water uh, because we've had some apples from around Grangeville, where, uh, d down in Idaho. Okay. Uh, and they have almost no water there, and so the flavor characteristics and the sugars were absolutely wonderful. The size was horrid. Okay. And I think what happens is coming from a commercial background, we're pumping the fruit up too much, getting too much water in it. But yes, in that way, that struggled and they did really well. Uh, but uh, there's a difference between struggling because you're trying to manage, you're trying to grow too much on, on, a, on, a, on a tree or mm -hmm. branch, and um, it just doesn't work. Uh, in, the, in the wine industry, you are very careful about the number of clusters that you have on your on your vines because it won't it won't have the same flavor and everything if it's over. So it is kind of similar then. In the Correct. Result. Okay. But stressing stressing from trying to um, have too much growing is a different kind of stress than lack of water, um, you know, sun that kind of stuff. What other products do you have right now? Because when we were in here a month ago, I think, ish, um, and then I'll come back to it, but there was a, a Perry, so we'll we'll table that for a second. Okay. But what other uh, pro Apple products do you have right now? Have we, I feel like we we left something out. Like, so we have the <clears throat> we have the ciders. Mm -hmm. um, right now we. We have had pomo, and pomo is made with with um, apple juice, and um, it's actually more made more like a um, port. Oh. And so you take the juice, you just we put it in the barrels, and we add the spirits to it, and so then we have to let it age in those barrels for 16 months to be able to call it Pomo. And what type of barrels is that aging in? American oak barrel. Are those from another, are they being re repurposed from another, or are these new? They're re, no, they're repurposed. And correct. what was originally in those? Um, like like our Pomo, uh, like our uh, Cornus. Okay. They were from um, whiskey. Whiskey. Okay. Are there any other Apple products? that we're missing. Apple products as far as varieties of ciders that you're carrying right now. I don't think, I think we kind of covered them all. So let me go this direction. You sell it in bottles. That's correct. Do, do any of your products come in cans? Uh, no, they do not. And then, do you, do any of your products are any of your products available in kegs? Uh, I would say that uh, about ninety percent of our product is actually in in kegs. It goes to uh, like pubs and restaurants and that kind of stuff. If you, if I were to open a bottle, pour you a glass, and then properly pour you the same cider from a keg, 
and set them in front of you without you knowing which was which, would you be able to tell? Normally what happens is when in the bottle, uh, we have pasteurized that. And so we, we heat the cider in, in the bottle to kill off the, the yeast cells. And so that pasteurization, the heat from that pasteurization actually has some flavor characteristic changes. And so it becomes more of a, a melding of flavors together where what goes into the keg comes out brighter and uh, is more... Um, Pronounced notes, so you would be able to tell? Correct. Okay. So if there's you had a good palate, because I wouldn't probably be able to. Well, my, my palate's uh, pretty much shot after all these, all these years. <laughs> I've always, I've always wanted to ask that because, well, then the other question is, since you don't have any products in cans, does does a cider in a can have different characteristics than that same cider if it was in a bottle or a keg? Well, we have a collaborative prod, um, product that we did with uh, Herb Cider in uh, Bellingham, Archibald in uh, Cashmere. Okay. And uh, and so each of us provided a th- one third of the cider that went into that, and herb cider put it in a can, and so we have that here. Okay. Um, we're we're concerned about the shelf life of cider in cans, and so we haven't Just haven't been wanted. Something you've gone to? No, we. Um, when we started, we were all 750s or, or kegs. Uh, we got a lot of push from this distribution to go to a single uh, serving format. And so we do 750s and 500s now. And immediately as we, when we went to 500s and they started saying, we want cans, it's sort of like, no. Um, and, 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 the, and it had to, mainly has to do with the shelf life. So what do you think a shelf life would be, I mean, arbitrarily, of a, of a cider in a can? Is it drastically reduced? And why would that be versus, say, in a bottle? It has the malic acid attacks the lining in the can. Okay. And so it's it's the most highly corrosive acid that, that you can have. And so a lot of other things can be in cans for a long period of time. And they don't have that issue with, with bottles. But cider... Cider Correct. does. Cider okay. does. And I you know, they've I think they've the canning companies have backed off and saying, well we can only allow it out we only guarantee it for six months and I think they're backing off from that. Oh. And uh and I th- there's some different things that they're looking at and so Okay. But a can is is a can is a good single serving it's convenient. Opportunity. It's convenient, you know. Well, you can take it where you don't have to worry about breakage. Right. Do you do, I know you do a Perry, but do you do any other fruit ciders other than apple and pear? We, we just do apple and pear. Okay. So let's, let I'll grind the gears here and we're going to jump to pear without being clean about it. Your Perry is amazing. I... I really like that, and that was probably the first thing I ever tried, and I picked up a bottle of it in downtown Wenatchee, not knowing anything about you, and I go, oh, this sounds kind of cool, and, you know, this ooh, this is neat looking, um, so the label worked, uh, 
and I find it delicious. How did you start doing a pear product? Well, when um, when we were first getting started, my daughter and son-in-law, they decided to uh, sell their condo, quit their jobs, and go biking in Europe for a year. That sounds and, great, actually. And, uh, <laughs> When they were over there, we went over and visited them in uh, the West Country in in the UK. And we stayed in Bath and then we toured a bunch of different um, cideries and the like. And probably probably the, the high point was when we had a chance to um, tour and, and go to Tom Oliver's um, place in Herefordshire. Uh, Tom Oliver sells cy- uh, cider in Perry, but he does all bottle conditioned, and he he is he's one of the triumphant of the the three head the head three in the Perry industry in the UK. Okay, and so we had a wonderful time. We tried a whole bunch of different Perrys and and that, and it was sort of like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely incredible, and um, so. When we got back, we said, you know, we really need to try it. And we'd been talking about doing a Perry. And so we decided, well, okay, we will do a what we, we now call a reserve Perry uh, with our Perry pears and some, some heirloom pears. Uh, we get some heirloom pears from Scott McManus and Cashmere. And um, it was... It was really good, and we actually did the champagne method like um, Tom did. So I'm going to ask you to stop right there, and I'm going to ask you to explain the champagne method, please. Okay, so that the simple way is saying that that's uh, in-bottle fermentation. Okay. And so when you talk about uh, method ancestral, that means that it's just bottle conditioned. And so you have you add the yeast or you get it down to a certain... In the fermentation process, and then you, then you cork it or, or crown it, and let let the yeast do its job and develop in the carbonation. In method champignois, uh, what we do is we we let it go through completely through fermentation and let it let it age in stainless for about 18 months to two years, and then we'll start in bottle fermentation. So we'll take that out, we'll bottle it, add a little bit of. Uh, Nutrients and some sugar and yeast to it, and then and then let it let it um, ferment in the bottle again, and so it gets a different bubble and it gets a different flavor characteristic because the cider is on the lees, which is the dead yeast cells in the bottom of the bottle, and so then we will take it after, and then we'll take it and we'll put it up on on neck down and we'll swirl it, and you can see it um, see the the current in the bottle loosen the the leaves or the uh, sediment in the bottom and then we will riddle it and so for about two weeks we'll turn it about a third turn it's neck down and after that then we'll let it sit and then we'll disgorge it and so we have some large uh, ice chests that we do um, um, salt brine like ice making ice cream right and freeze the neck of the bottle and then we will um, take it out and start raising it up and pop the the cap off and it will blow the ice plug out the end and a little bit of foaming out of the end and then we'll take that back and um, top it up and 
uh, we use a dosage, a uh, little additional uh, invert sugar and a little bit of spirits in it, and then cork it, and it's ready to go. So this is a very labor-intensive process. It's a pain. I had no idea. I had, I mean, I have no idea about lots of things in this, but I had no idea that there was as many steps in the process because. It, being blunt, that bottle of Perry's not a price point I was like expecting. No, I'm not complaining. It just I, when I bought it, I didn't look, and I'm like, oh, but it was it was amazing. But I had no idea, zero idea, that there was as much as many steps. Correct. We and, have. Yeah. We also have a cider maker's reserve, which uses the champagne method mm-hmm. uh, on our high end. Uh, and that's cider. is that the same? All those steps are the same. Same steps, exactly. I wow. Okay, it's delicious. So please keep doing it. How has the Perry been received in the marketplace? We have, um, we actually have two Perrys. Okay. And one is called Semi Dry Perry, and that's in 500 uh, ml bottles. Right. And so that uses like. Anjo pears and the cider from Anjo pears, and then we blend in some of the peri pears uh, to give some of the flavor characteristics, and that's been accepted really well. That has a a lot lower lower price point. Sure. Uh, the price point is a challenge uh, for the champagne method. Well, it's interesting because it's not that expensive. I mean, if I were to buy a bottle of, of it here today, what is retail? Forty. Forty dollars. Okay. I, my friends that drink wine don't blink an eye at forty dollar bottles of wine. That's true. Uh, <laughs> so I don't. I think we got to reframe this conversation. Well, but, when we have when we have people come to the tasting room uh, from a wine background, they all they'll say is, "You got everything's too cheap. Everything's too cheap." Uh, <laughs> but uh, when we're in distribution, we have to take a look at price point on the shelf. Do you want to move one bottle, or do you want to move several cases? Right, but I still don't think that forty. It, it was a shock. Shock's <laughs> not the right word. It was like, oh, you know, like it, it gave me pause. I bought more than one though, so it's you know, it's a uh, no complaints. But I had no idea. I think. How do you share that knowledge though with the consumer that this is? I had, I mean, I'm stunned at how intensive it is. The, oh, you mean the process? Yeah, I mean, if if if, so if consumer walks into a store and sees your a bottle and they go forty dollars, and they have no knowledge about what went into it, versus if they went in and went all that's all that went into it, it's forty forty dollars. Like you know, it's like changing that mindset of the, the consumer. How do you do that? How do you get the word out about this method? And how how does one educate the consumer? <laughs> the, what we have found really the the best way that that works is when people come out to the tasting room, or if we go, um, or if we have have an event where we go somewhere and they have a chance to to try it. Um, but so I'm going to ask you if you do a lot of events, knowing full well that for the last year and a half the answer to that was no. But 
prior to the pandemic, were you guys getting out and showcasing your products at events? We were we were doing that. Uh, I wasn't, but uh, we had a couple people that were actually trying to hit up the main events. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of some of the problem there is there on a weekend where I have the tasting room open and I really need to be here. Sure. And so um, some events are really, really good and some events are questionable. I think we've just described every event, haven't we? So the champagne method, that uses a different yeast than a quote-unquote normal cider. Are you using the same yeasts across all of your products? Uh, we we use a champagne yeast across all of our products because we like the the way that that what that does. Okay. Uh, we were doing with a certain champagne yeast, which was a good yeast that was a could start uh, could restart stuck fermentation. So if you have a wild ferment that starts, this would clean it up and, and finish off with a with a good uh, finish. Uh, we've had to change, we've, we've changed to a different champagne yeast that, that does not produce sulfur, but it has to ferment at a higher temperature. But that's about the only difference. So, how about we have yeast 101? What's the difference between a champagne yeast and a normal... Another type of yeast. What's what's? Why are you calling it champagne yeast? What what's the difference? What's the difference? Uh, they've been pretty much developed to, to do the champagne, and they'll do more on the fusels and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, where there's a lot of the red wine yeasts and that kind of stuff. They don't give the flavor characteristics that we want, uh, and I've not been happy with uh, ever with with any of the the cider yeast that people have had. So it just it just works the best. Okay, and then you say that it has to ferment at a higher temperature. The the newest one we have has has a ferment at a higher temperature. And, and what temperature is that approximate? It's got it's got to be fifty little above fifty one. Okay. Where the earlier champagne yeast, we could actually put it in when we laid it in bottles in the in the barrel room at 40, 40, 44. It worked fine, but oh. this other one, you move in there and it stops. Then you have to move it back out and heat it up so it get it going again. And if you get it down to below its 51 degrees, then it stops. So this, what impact does temperature have on flavor? Or does it? Temperature has a couple different. We like to ferment our ciders with at no higher than 60, 62, 64 degrees. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to control the uh, rate of fermentation by temperature. Uh, the whole tank will go exothermic if you don't chill the tank. Exothermic. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, it could heat up to 80, 80 some degrees just because of the, the heat okay. of the fermentation. And so at that point, it, it just goes nuts and you blow all your flavor characteristics out the top. 
So by keeping it on a controlled lower temperature, then it's you, that's keeping those flavor characteristics that you're looking for more intact. That's correct. Okay, so in 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 the in the cider itself, as opposed to just blowing off molecules okay. off the top. Okay. All right. Should have thought this was going to be a science lesson, but I guess I didn't. But I actually, well, the problem is you're talking to an engineer. I'm actually finding it fascinating. <laughs> um, and you, there might not be an answer to this question. What's on the horizon for Snowdrift? New product? Anything? You got, that, and I'm putting you on the spot. You know, no product is fine. But is there anything you guys are working on? When we're dependent on distribution, um, the, with the um, with way distributors have been um, coming together and. and being bought out by larger distributors, um, they're pretty much saying this is what the price point needs to be. And our forefathers is a good product that is a keg product, which uses processor fruit and cider fruit. And we're able to come in at the the price point that works for them, uh, but with flavor characteristics from cider fruit in it. And so there's a couple other things we're looking at um, that would more be seasonal. In the past, we've had um, winter red, which was a concentrated red, and the, the colors aren't there. Uh, and so we're looking at maybe doing kind of a, maybe a, a spiced winter uh, cider. And okay. um, we put together a recipe for hot spice cider using cornice and that kind of stuff. And, I mean, you put almost nothing in it, and you get some of that flavor characteristic. You know, like like you put it in a barrel, and you get pick up the oak and the... And the vanilla, and so that's that's one thing we're looking at. Uh, but we're wanting to focus more back on the the single varietals. Um, we have a couple rows of Fracken Rouge, which is a, a French uh, cider cider apple that has. We'll probably do more with that. So as I look over to my right for the visual, when you say row, how many? trees are we talking about in a row in a row in your rows um oh probably about 120 so you've got 240 of those trees correct well plus and, plus some in our test block back here but yeah and are they basically looking like these trees right over here or do you have them on on uh no they're trunk? they're they're not on a trellis system like okay. here which is cosmic crisp okay uh they're they've been grafted over from um the the red delicious and so so more like a what i think a traditional apple tree looks like versus free freestanding free, okay freestanding thank you because when you drive around, so like i told you before we so when we moved over here and we drove around i'm like what what's going on with all these trees i mean they were all trellised up and i'm used to looking at an apple tree that looks like you can climb on it like, like the you, granny smith to your right yes you know and and that's not what I see a lot of. Is I see a lot of the trellis stuff here. So what you, what's really happening is that uh, you're in a trellis system. You're providing the support to it, and mm -hmm. technically, you're just growing a branch, a fruiting branch. Okay. Uh, and so um, 
there's there's another term that they use. They talk about a a tree wall or a fruiting wall, uh, and so it's a very controlled uh, environment and that kind of stuff. Okay. And so you're looking at very high production. Mm-hmm. When you when you have to develop like the Granny Smith here, when you have to develop the the trunk and the leaders and all that kind of stuff, um, a tree wall you have can have fruit in three years. Right. This way you have to spend a lot of time and energy to bring it up to uh, sort of to support itself. Now when we graft, uh, we'll go through and we'll cut off um, virtually everything and then put in uh, six signs. And so you still got all the SCIONs. Thank you. And you, uh, you, you, the root is pushing so much energy, uh, we'll get eight feet of growth on those on those signs that are what's six seven inches long so you're taking and so a, in, a, like a, a red delicious that's correct tree cutting it back right well more than just cutting it back okay and then you're grafting on the cider fruit correct how so if we were to go do that today Mm-hmm. and graft on six signs when would that be producing fruit uh, I have some I have four rows that we grafted two years ago okay and so they have fruit on them this year uh, I'm not going to let them let them uh, produce fruit because I want them to fill out first but uh, I have some that is in its third year and it will be growing its first crop this year so you'll go and remove the fruit from the two-year-olds That's so that correct. that energy will go and the tree will put energy into building itself versus building the structure fruit. correct okay so in three years or three years ish three four years you can start to have a crop of apples off of a graft so um off of off of those trees out there in three years you will probably have oh a 20% crop okay and then that will keep going it, it keep going so when would you be fully productive 100% crop by the fifth year fifth year okay I mean they I mean the, the problem is throttling them back and getting a load on them so they'll stop growing so much so this granny Smith here that you and I could see how old is this this tree ish 20 ish 20 years and it's got apples on it it's got fruit correct it's not really in production I mean you probably picked it but is that it's only for private use right if it were in commercial production use would it still be viable at 20 years oh yeah okay yeah okay. The, the problem the problem in the fruit industry is you have new sexy hot items that come up right and so We've gone through Honeycrisp, and Honeycrisp is still good. Now it's Cosmic Crisp, and so uh, people are looking for the latest and greatest. And you know, returns on like yeah, <laughs> yeah, returns on Red Delicious are really suck. Right. And and so when you're comparing that with hundreds of dollars, well, nine hundred dollars for um, Cosmic Crisp and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. When you're not being 
an orchardist and a cider maker. What do you do for fun? Fun? What's fun? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I enjoy getting out uh, and doing... We used to do a lot of hiking, but right now we get out and enjoying the the flowers and the birds and that kind of stuff. And so we'll do a lot of uh, day hikes in and around the area. So give me an example of a day hike you guys like. Oh, Marion and Claire, uh, we'll, we'll do that four times, four or five times a year. I don't know where that's here. at. Uh, you go up to like Mission Ridge okay. and, and the parking lot. And then off on the right-hand side, there's a trail that goes up to Claire and Marion. Okay. And so uh, that's, that's been one of our, one of our favorites. Uh, but, you know, we like getting up in the Stevens Pass area. Um, I like the, or like even like going out to Ancient Lake uh, in the spring. Okay. Um, I, we enjoy wildflowers, and so that's what we look for. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot. We have an abundance of that, you know, the right time of year. Where, well, so how do you like living in the Wenatchee area? I mean, I, I, you know, we moved over here four years ago. I can tell you my opinion, but you've been here a long time. Nothing's changed. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in Cashmere. Oh, nothing's changed there at all. And uh, <laughs> all I wanted to do is get away. Okay. Okay. And uh, and my dad said, "Well, I think you should stick stick around and." earn some money and, and buy an orchard and that kind of stuff. And I said, no, I want to do something. I do not want to have my life dictated by the frost and the bugs and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so um, I went to the U and I'm, I'm a civil engineer, worked five years in the Seattle area. And, and my wife and I said, you know, she's from Refreda. We really don't want to raise a family over here. And so... Uh, we tried to. Tr I tried to transfer back in uh, to the district here, and uh, didn't work. It was closed. And so, I happened to mention to my father-in-law, you know, it'd be really nice. To, uh, I'm thinking about wanting to go back into orcharding again, <laughs> and he jumped all over that. And it's sort of like I didn't understand. I do now. Uh, to get his his kids back home closer, right. and. Uh, so my dad had a lot of I told you so's. I told you so. And um, farming is in your blood. And it's hard It's hard to beat. So. Well, it's the easiest way to make a living. I mean, <laughs> I've never met anybody in the agricultural business that wouldn't have thrown something at me for saying that. I don't, you know, and you had said frost and bugs and all that. I, I don't have the stomach for it. I applaud you and admire you, and we need you, but not for me. Well, <laughs> when we purchased the orchard, um, we were looking at, gosh, I think it was 3,000 an acre. Okay. And uh, you can't touch anything around here for... 10 times that probably more like 20 times that and so probably uh, like at 60 an acre now right and you can't you can't um, 
you can't handle that uh, the PNI on that kind of debt, and so it's uh, it's gotten to the point where it's forcing other ways of of moving the industry, and so you know the Goldens in the bottom of the orchard, uh, they they're an older block, and they've been doing a hundred bins to the acre. And did um, you say hundred bins to the acre? Uh huh. Wow. Okay. And and so the high density stuff uh, on these uh, you know tree walls they're doing 100 bins 200 bins that kind of stuff to the acre and so they if it's not producing if it's if it's below 100 bins i mean they're looking at something different i read somewhere you know the big sign is you come into wenatchee you know wenatchee Area it does say area in small print, but Wenatchee Apple Capital of the World, right? There's that big sign we all see. And growing up on the west side, and I went to school in Ellensburg at Central. Wenatchee apples. I mean, that's just those two words are linked together. And I read in the paper it was either five or seven acres of apples is all that's left in the city of Wenatchee. I was really. It didn't surprise me. It doesn't. It, it, it surprised me when I read it, and then I think about it. It doesn't surprise me. But well, when you come out here, and we're not in town, right? When you come out here, especially like the arterials, you you have to have you, spray drift. Like is is uh, horrendous, right? And. Uh, People don't like hearing the sprayer going off at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, why does it have to be at 4 a.m.? <laughs> you might be the only time that it's going to be cool enough and no, and wind. no wind. Right. <laughs> uh, like the my brother has a PTO sprayer, and that's noisy. My neighbor has an engine-driven that's uh, twice as noisy. Is that the, the blade you see up on this? Like, I see these towers with, like, right there. Oh, th- those, those are wind machines. That's frost control. Frost control. Does that actually work? You betcha. Interesting. So what it's what it's doing is you, uh, cold air flows down through the low 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 spots. So like behind you, in front of the house, there it flows down through there and then ponds up in the bottom down there. And so the the wind machines they not only uh, spin but they also rotate. And so they're mixing the warmer air in with the colder air. Okay. Last question before we get going and wrap this up. Putting you on the spot, in a, hopefully in a good way. You said before we hit record, pandemic was a timeout for all of us. But as a business, what lesson, what lessons have you learned after, as we're getting through the pandemic, as far as snowdrift goes? Because I think the apple orchards were not as were they affected was your commercial fruit affected by the pandemic all that much uh not to the extent that that ours was i mean the the cider the cider correct but as a business what did you did you adjust what you were doing to stay viable so what we did is we with the distributors uh they have about six months supply and so when things shut down I mean we had nothing going on 
and so we focused more on internet sales. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't make a lot, but we had enough cash flow that really worked. And so uh, it really helped us change um, back to focusing on more on the retail side, uh, Cider Club, um, all of those type of things. Uh, and take a time out until that goes. He's really loud right now, and I, I want to I wanna hear that side of part once again. So how long does that PTO... Oh, so I've never actually seen it working. So how long can it run before he has to fill it up again? Uh, he's... The, the sprayer is a 400-gallon sprayer. Okay. And so uh, he's, he's doing 200 gallons to the acre, so it's it's two acres, and so he's driving about two miles an hour. So. Okay. All right. So let's go back. Let's pick up at the cider club. So what what we what we looked at in in this timeout is sort of like, uh, what can we do uh, to to move products? And so we did um, we did some specialty offerings. Um, you know, we did some vertical taste vertical um, products from several years back and and uh, and so we we talked about five o'clock at home and so we had I mean and we were offering free shipping okay and uh, I mean we had very good response with that uh, cider club is an opportunity where there's significant um, uh, savings on cider club I would say probably 90% of our cider clubs are out of town and so we ship to them um, and so that works is there there must be challenges in shipping alcohol though. and we, bottles I mean you're shipping a breakable item that's got alcohol in it well but <laughs> what we do is um, we have to have uh, special shipping containers Okay. So we just don't take a case of cider and then ship it. Uh, but then uh, we we do we have a, a through we have a license through uh, UPS for local in state. Okay. And then we use a compliant shipper for all the other shipping that we do out as, of state. Out of, out of state. So. Okay. I've always I've always wondered that about because um, other businesses that I've talked to that kind of. The word that's been overused the most pivoted towards retail. I, you know, this fulfillment aspect is different. I'm going to guess that if your distributor is placing an order, it's for uh, a larger number of cases than if Bill Smith is ordering a couple of bottles to be shipped to Seattle. You know, well, so and, and yeah, and the distributor, um, with what we see, there, we we sell more kegs mm -hmm. than cases. Okay. And people coming out here in the cider club, they don't have access to the cake. Well, we have some people who do buy cakes from us. Oh. But uh, most of what we do is, is send send bottles. So you've got the cider club, uh, I don't want to say a renewed, but a revisited retail. Yeah, we do a lot of online sales yet. Mm -hmm. um, the tasting area... Uh, with COVID, um, you know, we couldn't do any tasting at the bar. Right. And so uh, then we had our winter time. Okay, as long as you taste it outside, 
or you had freezing cold uh, air flowing through where you're trying to taste, and it's sort of like. Uh, but what it what it's done is um, we have it allowed us to say, you know, we have time and we have space that we can offer people. Right. And so we have some picnic tables here that people can come out. They can bring food they, with, with their friends. And, you know, they can do tastings or they can buy flights or they can buy bottles to share and that kind of stuff and hang out. So let's wrap up by you telling our listeners where they can find Snowdrift. Right, uh, right at this point, um, we're distributing um, both west side and east side. The majority of the, the the places we have in the west side would be like Total Wine and some some of the bottle shops and that. Uh, we're less less served on Eastern Washington, but in Wenatchee, uh, the liquor store on Ninth Street and. Uh, uh, Plaza Superjet. Yep. <laughs> uh, they have that's the best bottle shop there is in town. It's great. <laughs> and uh, so, but that those type of things. And so, uh, probably the the our best our best uh, client right now is actually Leavenworth Cider Company in right. in uh, Leavenworth. So, tasting room is open. Tasting room, <clears throat> tasting room is open. Uh, on from noon to five on Friday and Saturday, but uh, if people want to make an appointment, uh, uh, that way I can get changed out of my orchard clothes, and I'm, we're able to do it almost any time during the week. And online, the address to find you. Okay, uh, uh, on it's online both with the um, with our website and and my. Um, Email address and my number is is there online. Okay. So, and what's in it's snowdriftcider.com, correct? Snowdriftcider.com. Right. And we'll put a link below so that people can click on that easily. What question didn't I ask? Did I did we did I not ask a question that you want to get get out there? Well, I think I've said enough. Okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate you making time out of your busy orchard day to let me sit outside with you. And because it's a beautiful day, and I appreciate it. I learned a ton, which is why I do this. So thank you so much for making this happen. Well, thank you so much for uh, considering us. Um Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.